Hello, this is Steve Bailey. Happy to welcome you to episode 11 of Laughing Gas, a Charlie Chaplin podcast. I'm going to ramp up the pace slightly. I want to continue doing movies in chronological order as far as Chaplin's career is concerned. But we still have about a dozen movies to cover in the Keystone period. And then there's all of SNA and Mutual. And it, this, this series could go on for years. So I'm going to compact it a little bit. I've been doing two of his Keystone shorts and then one of his more famous features. I'll ramp it up to three today. All right, let's begin with, from 1914, Laughing Gas. In this movie, Charlie, at his Keystone sadistic worst, is an assistant in a dentist's office. You can pretty much guess where it goes from there. The most interesting thing about the movie's plot is how it comes full circle. Charlie harasses people within and out of the office, yet by movie's end, every one of his victims is there to give him full-throated revenge. Otherwise, the movie is somewhat of a waste of potential. People's Fear of Dentists has a long range of history in movie comedy, from Laurel and Hardy to Steve Martin at least, but this one starts out with Charlie eager to wallop anybody in sight, so it never builds to anything. The best scene is probably Charlie's heavy-duty flirting of a female patient in the dentist chair. From there we go on to The Property Man, in which Charlie plays the title role, a prop man for a mishmash of a vaudeville show. Some of the show's characters are intriguing, if thinly developed, the divas with their temper tantrums, the height challenge strong man, but they're all just fodder for Charlie to kick them around anyway. The guy who gets it worse is Charlie's fellow prop man, a senior citizen whom Charlie bats around because, well, because he's old, I guess. There are a few nice gags sprinkled throughout, as when Charlie flirts with the strong man's wife and inadvertently ends up on the stage with a few of the acts, but the comedy is hit and miss. And it isn't helped by frequent cutaways to the audience front row, led by Max Sennett himself at his most yahoo and Charlie finishes the stage act and the film by aiming a live water hose at everyone. It was almost inevitable. And finally, the best of the three, at least in my opinion, that I'm going to cover today, the face on the barroom floor. This short is based on a melodramatic poem of the time about an artist who loses his lover to the wealthy man whose portrait he paints. Chaplin plays the artist, recounting his story via flashback to some sympathetic fellow drinkers at a bar. Perhaps because the movie is intent on its burlesque angle, it mostly shies away from the keystone beating people up for its own sake kind of laugh, which is to the movie's advantage. Chaplin, for the first time in his keystone period, acts very melancholy, as befits the poem, of course. It's interesting to watch, in view of how he will mix comedy and pathos later in his career. Yet already he has learned to take the sting off the pathos before it gets to be too much. At one point the painter sits down and sobs in self-pity, when he gets up, he fails to notice a large glob of white paint on his behind. The best gag in the film is when the woman and the rich man leave, followed by the title, Two Months Elapsed. Charlie is a derelict out on the street, 
when who should he see but the happy couple that deserted him, followed by their requisite half-dozen half kids. Naturally, the movie does succumb to Keystone Rostabout for the fade-out, but up to then, it's a pretty delicious parody. And now for that feature film I promised, I would like to discuss uh, one of his most famous works, 1921's The Kid. Nowadays, it's nothing for a laugh-along sitcom to trumpet a very special episode in which things are suddenly going to get semi-serious for a half hour. But before Charlie Chaplin made The Kid, he was heralded by naysayers who knew perfectly well you couldn't mix comedy and drama in the same movie. Nearly a, cent uh, oh, excuse me, nearly a century later, the original template still holds up magnificently. This comedy with a smile and perhaps a tear begins with an unwed, unwed mother, played by Edna Proviance, whose only sin was motherhood. Chaplin's intertitles here are unusually editorializing. More on that in a moment. Guiltily, the unwed mother abandons her newborn baby in the backseat of a limousine that is soon stolen. When the car's hijackers discover the baby in the back, they ditch the baby in, in an alley. Mercifully so, one of the hijackers was ready and willing to shoot the kid. Enter the tramp on his morning stroll. He happens upon the baby, and as soon as, he, as soon as he tries to abandon the infant, all manner of circumstances cause him to be stuck with the child as though he was flypaper. And yet, for a man who fancies himself a loner, once the tramp accepts the inevitable, he's surprisingly adaptable to this new addition to his life. Five years later, and the babe, famously played by Tr Jackie Coogan, has grown into the spitting image of his foster father. The duo run a business of sorts, of which I won't detail here because it would be a spoiler and because it's so beautifully detailed within the movie. Later, Jackie has another great scene where he and the tramp must deal with a neighborhood bully and his older brother. The conflict leaves Jackie ill, and when a doctor visits Jackie in his rundown home, he decides that the law must intervene with, as a title tells us, the proper care. Heartless officials who want to take Jackie away to an orphanage. Of the scene where Jackie is separ nearly separated from the tramp, Jackie Coogan said years later, if you're going to portray yourself as being hysterical, you better get yourself hysterical, or brother, it's as phony as a $3 bill. Unlike so many stagey stage child actors before and since, phoniness is the one emotion that never occurs in Coogan's performance. Whatever the scene for calls for, he's there. And this particular, openly cathartic scene proves that Chaplin knew the bedrock rule of parenthood. You don't screw around with someone's kid. If the movie has any weak link, it's probably its finale. Finally separated from the kid, when a flophouse manager finds there's been a reward offered for his return, the tramp searches the city for the kid all night, returning forlornly, forlornly excuse me, to his own doorstep and falling asleep. There follows a cute but superfluous dream sequence in which the tramp and Jackie are reunited in heaven but still must deal with day-to-day -day hassles. The sequence has a few laughs, but like the it's only a dream it was only a dream endings done to death by Chaplin and his peers, it's rather turned into a cliche from overuse. There's also an interesting moment where a devil appears over the shoulder of a young female angel as she stares at the tramp and tells her to vamp him. Years later, when her name was changed to Lita Gray and she became the second Mrs. Charles Chaplin, she seems to have done just that. And finally, the happy ending. A policeman rounds up the tramp and takes him to the mansion of the kid's father or mother, excuse me. 
The mother is now a world-famous star and has been reunited with her child, and she happily welcomes the tramp into her home as the film fades out. It's a nice thought, except where would it go from there? The woman would no doubt be grateful for all that the tramp has done, but where or how would he fit into her world? And being the tramp, who never wants to fit in anywhere, how long would, would it be before he gets restless and wants to abandon the whole idyll? The later ambiguity of Chaplin's City Lights is far more satisfying, precisely because it doesn't strain to put a exclama final exclamation point on the whole matter. That said, the kid is still a marvelous tearjerker in the best sense. Perhaps because the story involves not just the tramp, who we feel can fend on his own well enough, but an innocent child, the lower class world inhabited by the tramp seems even more bare-boned than usual. Uh, for one example is, in the shot where the flophouse manager is reading the newspaper's ad for the kid's reward, we even see a fly crawling across the newspaper. Ew. Maybe that's why Chaplin went for the quick wrap-up with, it, with its sanitary setting. So that's my take on uh, Charlie Chaplin's work for this time. Let me close with my usual blatant personal plugs. If you would like to find me on Facebook, I have a Facebook page titled Another Charlie Chaplin Facebook Page, and I hope you will meet me and uh, join, there, join me on Facebook there. And if you have any uh, comments to make about this podcast, good, bad, or neutral, please feel free to email me at laughinggaspodcast at outlook.com. Lastly, I would like to mention two other movie-related podcasts that I do. I recently completed a podcast about the films of Laurel and Hardy. You can find that online at anchor.fm under the title Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy podcast. And I am in the midst of doing a podcast on the early Popeye cartoons, the black and white ones uh, made by the Fleischer brothers. You can find that podcast also at Anchor FM under the name Blow Me Down, a Fleischer Popeye podcast. By the way, this podcast is available on uh, iTunes, and if you are listening through iTunes, I ask you to please uh, leave me a written review and or a star rating. It really helps. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, please subscribe. We have plenty more episodes to go as I uh, share my opinions about Charlie Chaplin's movies with you. I thank you very much for visiting. Until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye and God bless. <laughs>